0: Good morning, everyone. Today I want to talk to you about, from our Think About series, talk to you about thinking about your destination. I'm not talking about your financial destination or your education destination or your career destination or relationship destination. I'm talking about your eternal destination. Think long and hard about it. What's your destination? I want you to think about it. There's this high school student that came on career day to a law firm and went in to visit the law firm with a certain lawyer because he had an interest in becoming a lawyer uh, as he grew up. So the lawyer said, well, tell me about what you want to do, what's your plans? And the young man said, well, I want to graduate in the top five of my class. The lawyer said, what's next? He said, well, I'd like to go to a really good college, get into a really good college with a great scholarship, and the lawyer said, well... That's good. What's next? He said, I would like to get into a really prestigious law school, go to law school there and do real well there. And the lawyer said, well, what's next? He goes, I'd like to get a good internship with a really good, great law firm. And then after that that internship's over with, that that law firm will hire me. I'll get to be part of that law firm. The lawyer said, what's next? He goes, well, I'd like to be married. We'd like to have some kids. And the lawyer said, well, what's next? He goes, well, um, I guess I'd like to make a lot of money and get a lot of nice things. We can go on trips and vacations together and see our kids grow up and get involved in community causes that we're interested in and do some volunteer work. And like I said, that's good. Well, what's next? He goes, well, I guess the kids are going to grow up and they'll go to college. So I need to save up for the college fund. So they go to college and they pursue their career wells and, and encourage them along the way and of course, we want to make friends along the way as well. And the lawyer said, well, that's good. Well, what's next? He goes, well, I guess they'll get married. So I have to pay for the weddings you know, <laughs> if they're a daughter, but they'll get married and hopefully they'll have grandkids. We'll get to enjoy the grandkids. And the lawyer said, that's good. Well, what's next? He goes, well, I guess um, I'll retire. And all the money I've accumulated, all the things we've done, well, all the places we've not been able to go, we'll do the things we weren't able to do, have more time to Volunteer in the areas we really have an interest in and see different things and go see the kids and the grandkids and just enjoy life. And the lawyer said, well, that's fine, what's next? The teenager said, well, I, I guess I'll die. The lawyer said, what's next? And the young man said, I don't know. I've never thought about it. To which the Christian lawyer said, you must begin with your destination You need to think right now about your eternal destination, because if you don't get that right, all the things you just said there don't matter. They don't matter. Think about your destination. One of the greatest sermons in the entire world ever given was given by Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the what? Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. You can find it there and other parts of the gospel as well. This sermon is just filled with so many things, isn't it? Jesus says stuff and you go, wow, that's really good. And then Jesus says some other things that are so true. You go, you know, that is, that is just so true. I mean, what he, that is exactly right on point about life. Then he says things that make you scratch your head. I mean, <laughs> You're still reading when you're 60-something. You still don't understand them. You go, man, that, that's really deep. But Jesus talked a whole lot about For us to think about our destination. In fact, it tells us that a third, or we're told rather by people who study this, that a third of Jesus' parables and teachings are about your destination. What's your destination? So it's not surprising as he's wrapping up this Sermon on the Mount with these wows and, oh, that's so good, and not sure what he meant there that he brings it all home for us to think about our eternal destination and so in chapter 7 verse 24 and following he says you know anyone who hears my words and does what with them puts them into practice is like a wise person that person will build their house on a rock when the rains come and the storms come of life that life's going to be solid that life's going to be secure because it's built on the rock of Jesus Christ, putting the words of Jesus into practice. And so that destination is going to be one that's eternal. I've always loved this saying, I say, I read it to you often, but it's so true. If you don't know where you're going, you're probably going to end up somewhere you don't want to be. I wonder how many people in this life have no clue about their destination. It's not a guess on my part. We'll see in just a moment that Jesus says that's most people. They don't think about this most important thing about life, do they? What's your destination? Jesus talked about it, and he wants us to think about our destination. In Matthew 7, 13, he says, You, can only, uh, you only enter true life through the narrow gate. The gate to hell is very wide, and there's plenty of room on the road that leads to it. Many people go that way. So he talks about two roads, doesn't he? He talks about the narrow road that leads to the narrow gate. And he talks about the wide road that leads to what? The wide gate. And he's very clear that when you think about your destination, there are only two choices. Only two. Heaven or hell. Destination heaven or destination hell. Now, it's interesting. In our society, we use hell as an adjective quite a bit, don't we? Right? Hell is an adjective. I, I don't even, it is so popular as an adjective, I don't even feel like I have to give you any, any illustrations of what I'm talking about. It's interesting to me how we've turned this horrible, destructive place, destination, into a popular adjective that describes virtually every noun, in our English language. We don't do that with any other horrible place, do we? But when we talk about hell, we don't talk about it as a destination, we talk about it rather as an adjective to describe other nouns. I also think about hell, it's ignored as a topic of conversation. It's ignored as a topic of destination. And yet in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what Paul says. Uh, Paul says, For we must all stand before Christ and be judged. We will receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we've done with our life. Now, if you're a Christian, this is not a frightening prospect. This is a time of reward. You've walked on the narrow road. You've found the true life. You're going through the narrow gate. And this is going to be a great time of rejoicing. However, if you've chosen the wide road... Through the wide gate, your destination, that's beyond what Christ wants you to do, you're, ex- you're going to face a judgment is beyond anything you could ever imagine. The description given in the Bible doesn't even touch what that judgment's going to be like. Notice Paul says about this judgment, it's what we deserve. We all receive whatever what? We deserve. That means it's our choice. God does not put you there. Because he's predestined you to be there. You chose that for whatever reason. And without faith and grace in God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you're without defense and you'll pay an eternal consequences for your life choice, your life decision. Now here's a third thing about hell. It's more than just an adjective. It's an ignored destination, but it's also a prepared destination. Even though hell is used as an adjective, there are a great many who don't even believe that hell is real. They believe it's a figment of imagination. Or they believe that it's a superstitious idea and teaching designed to, to fear, put fear into citizens so that they will be compliant and get along with each other. Hell is not a figment of someone's imagination. Hell is not some sort of superstitious teaching. Destination hell is real. And in Matthew 25, verse 41, it reveals who are going to be its primary residents. Notice, first of all, that God prepares hell for the devil and whom. So the primary residence for this hell that will be prepared is for the devil and his angels. But there will be others that will be there as well. And this is God speaking, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, Angels, those who choose destination hell will be on the left hand of God, which means they'll be eternally separated from God and they will dwell not with God, but with the devil and his angels in this destination hell. Now, don't get me wrong, no one's predestined to hell. Nor is it our role to condemn people to hell. I think one of the reasons why the church sometimes has such a bad name in society is because they always know what we're against, and we always seem to be condemning everything. Uh, our role is not to condemn. God's the judge, not you. But our role is to teach, and our role is to obey, and our role is to make the Word of God very clear. So we are to show deep compassion. Every person we meet, I think in our minds at some point we should ask, I wonder if they've chosen the right destination. I wonder how they're living their life. And you do that with compassion. But also you do it with conviction. Because our human nature wants everyone to be okay. And everyone to be all right. And we don't want conflict, right? Right? So if we're not careful, we'll water down our conviction. Because it sounds a little bit maybe too exclusive, too harsh. Does that make sense? And so in the process of showing compassion and not being condemning, if we're not careful, we'll lose our conviction. And we'll no longer go what the Word of God says, and we'll lose our conviction to teach and to obey and to share. We'll lose that conviction. But hell is a choice that's being made by many For their destination. I want to make it very clear, and I think we should be very clear. God wants everyone's destination to be heaven. Let me say that again God wants everyone's destination to be heaven. Hell is a prepared place by God, and we know that heaven's a prepared place by God. In fact, in Matthew seven fourteen verse 8, as we're continuing in Matthew 7, the gate that opens the way to true life is narrow. What does that mean? God wants you to find and be on the right road, through the right gate. He says that there's a true way to live. If he says there's a true way to live, that means there's also a wrong way to live, right? If there's a true way to live, your destination's heaven. If there's a wrong way to live, your destination is hell. That's a troubling question for not only people in general, but for Christians so often. You hear it. I've heard it so much. If God is love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and just and holy, then how could there be that awful place called hell? It's a troubling question, isn't it? It's because God is love and grace and mercy and just and holy and forgiving, that he must punish sin and judge wickedness and bring his wrath to destroy this world in the end. Being loving and gracious and merciful and forgiving and just and holy does not exclude God from punishment of sin and wrath and judgment. I think you have to have a complete picture of who God is in order to understand the full character of God in his entirety. I think a great verse that points that out is in 2 Peter 3, 11 and following. I'm just going to look at a a few verses here, but in verse 9 and following rather. But notice what, what it says about God. God is being patient with you. So why is God being patient with you? How does he show his patience with you? He seeks after you. He looks for you. He pursues you. He gives you opportunity after opportunity to turn to him and choose the destination of heaven. He gives you time and time and time when he really shouldn't. He's patient with you. Why? Why is he patient? Because he doesn't want anyone to be what? Lost. God wants everyone to choose the destination of heaven. Why don't they? Why don't they? Now notice, why don't they? Why don't they choose it? God desires it, but how come people, some people don't desire it? Because notice, he wants everyone to change their ways and stop sinning. God can be patient and loving and kind and gracious and merciful and forgiving and just and holy, but if you don't want to stop sinning, you won't stop sinning. And if you won't stop sinning, No matter all those beautiful attributes of God we like to talk about. They don't come into the equation. Rather, now you must experience the the justice and the wrath of God. And this is what God warns us about in the next verse here. He says, be prepared. The day when the Lord comes will do what? Surprise everyone like the coming of a thief. Look out. Day's going to arrive. You're not prepared for it. You're not prepared for it. What will happen? Here's God's wrath. The sky will disappear with a loud noise. Everything in the sky will be destroyed with fire. Then the earth and everything in it will do what? Burn up. That's the wrath of God because people wouldn't stop sinning. They would not follow after him. So what's our response to that? Well, here's the response God wants you to have because he he desires for everyone's destination to be heaven. It says, so what kind of people ought you to be? Your lives should be holy and devoted to God You should be looking forward to the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. See that? That's the whole picture of God there, isn't it? It's not a contradiction. They're not mutually exclusive of each other. This is God, our God, our God, our Lord. The fact is, in spite of God's love and patience and mercy and forgiveness and opportunity, and after opportunity to choose destination heaven, many people will choose destination hell. Many people will. Not, it's not what God wants, but it's what people choose. In Matthew 7, 13, the gate to hell is very what? Wide, and there is plenty of room on the road that leads there. And here it is. Many people go that way. Many people go that way. Now, I th- why would people choose destination hell? Think about that. Why would many people choose destination hell? We've already seen some don't want to obey God. They, they want no part of it. They don't want to live the Christian life. They choose to live apart from God. There's some others too. Here's one it's very tough. And stand, Go back to the other slide. I didn't put this one on here, Chris. Go back. Here's because they're happy people. Many people do not choose God because they're happy in life. They're having a happy life. They feel like it's a charmed life. Did you know that happy can be the enemy of joy? If your life is going great and it's good and it's happy and you're without God, you have no sense of urgency or any desire to make any changes. Happy can be the enemy of joy. I I have seen this so much. People happy in their life. And their life is going so well that they have no sense of urgency. They miss all the opportunities and they put it off for another time and say, oh, maybe one day I'll think about it. And that day never comes unless they realize happy is the enemy of their joy. We call them self-reliant and they're so self-controlled, not realizing all along that they're being self-deceived and leading towards self-destruction. You hear that word self it's the happy self the self-reliant one Jesus one time gave a parable about a happy self-reliant man oh man he just absolutely story tells you just got everything together and had so much he's built more and more and more he was such a happy self-reliant self-sufficient person everything's going so great man I got so much here I'm gonna sit back eat drink and be merry for so many years hear that don't need a thing. My life's a happy life. His happiness, his self-reliance left no room for God. And Jesus concludes that peril by saying, if you store up things for yourself and you're just trying to live the happy, self-reliant life, you're acting foolishly because you're not being rich in God. Rich in God. Many are choosing destination hell because they're living the happy life. Others are choosing destination hell because they think, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. When I look at my life compared to others, I think I'm a good person. I help others. I'm kind to others. I'm a good neighbor. I'm a good friend. I'm a good spouse. I'm a good parent. I'm a good worker. I'm a good citizen. I'm a good employer. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. You know what Jesus said about being a good person? In Mark 10, verse 18, no one is good except God. Well, wait a minute. I know, I know a person that's good. No, see, your standard is comparing that goodness to another person. The standard for goodness is not human to human. The standard of goodness is the true good, God. God alone is good. There's no one on this earth that's 100% good at all times. Your good will never be good enough. If destination heaven depends upon us being good, none of us get in. Because good is not good enough and good is not the standard. God is perfect. You never will be. You'll never be good enough. Your good can never get you in. Destination heaven is not based on good, but based on your faith alone in Christ Jesus and upon the grace of God. Well, the reason why many are also choosing the destination hell is because they think, you know, I'm a sincere person. I'm a sincere person, as if sincerity is the standard. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it's one of many verses in the Bible that always connects being sincere with truth. Sincerity is never by itself. It's always connected with truth and love. Joshua says, serve the Lord in sincerity with truth. The Word of God categorically states that sincerity must be rooted in truth and not in my feelings. And those feelings are so deceptive. I, well, I feel like I'm sincere enough. I just feel like that that person's sincere in what they believe and what they think. And yet Proverbs tells us in verse four, chapter 14, verse 12... There's a way that people think is right. See, they're sincere about it. They feel it's right. They they believe it's true, right? They think it's right. But in the end, it's wrong, isn't it? Because it's not right. As sincere as they were in following that, they're sincerely wrong. Because it leads to death. I can sincerely feel like something is true, but that doesn't make it true. I can sincerely believe that something is right, but that doesn't make it right. I can sincerely believe something to be true and be sincerely wrong. Oh, for so many generations of humanity, they believe in this geocentric theory of the orbit, right? That everything, the earth was the center and everything orbited around the earth. 3rd century BC, Aristarchus said, no, no, it's the sun and everything orbits around the sun, but no one listened to him. Everybody sincerely believed that the correct way to view our planet was that Earth's the middle and everything orbits around it. It wasn't until the 16th century that Copernicus says, no, 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 the right way is sun and everything orbits around it. But all the people, the masses, continued to believe sincerely that this was a geocentric universe. Galileo takes the telescope, looks up, and says, ha, Copernicus is right. He's so excited to tell the whole world. And the church said, Galileo, unless you recant that false teaching, we're going to torture you and kill you. And Galileo said, I'm a scientist, not a martyr. Forget everything I just said. And if it wasn't for his daughter, we would have never known about Galileo sneaking out his papers. But for centuries upon centuries, people believed sincerely that everything revolved around the earth. And they were sincerely wrong. I wonder today what we sincerely believe to be true. That somewhere down the road, they're going to look back and say, man, they were so, so wrong. Right? That's why we need to look at the truth. Many choose destination hell because they think that there are many many ways to God. All religions will get you there. All religions are the same. So we see this beautiful little place everywhere all this bumper stickers coexist. You'll see it on our billboard signs and coexist. It sounds so great, doesn't it? it? Sounds so loving, so harmonious. In fact, we put the cross as a T in the end. All these other invented religions, all those other things there, false doctrines, everything else, they put the T on the end for the cross so we can all coexist. Even though all those on that board contradict each other in major doctrines, how to live life and what happens after death. Yet we're to coexist. We're to coexist. Sounds loving, sounds good, sounds harmonious, enlightening, accepting and sincere, but it is sincerely wrong. This is human invention. It's not from God. In fact, Jesus speaks to this sincere coexist religion deception. He gives two illustrations to show why it's a deception. Here's the first one, Matthew 7, 15. Watch out for false prophets. They'll come pretending to be sheep, but on the inside they are hungry wolves. Second illustration, you can tell a tree by its what? By its fruit. What does Jesus say about it? It doesn't matter what religion you follow. He says, No, there are some false teachers. There are some religions, in fact, all religions other than Christ, that are going to devour your life. They will destroy you. And how do you know that? You can tell by their fruit. What does he mean by that, their fruit? Well, Jesus means by the fruit, what do they say about me? What do they say about the Word of God? Is there one God? Is He the Jehovah God? Do they take God's Word and God's Word alone as the standard of truth? Or do they have to add their holy book to it and their holy words to it and their prophets to it and their philosophies to it to get the whole picture? What do they say about me? Am I a good man? Am I a good teacher? Am I one of prophets? Or am I Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, through which every name and every tongue and every... King will bow down to me in the end. What do they say about me? By their fruits, you know them. And if those religions are not honoring God and His Word and Jesus as the only way to salvation, they're false. They're built on the wide road that leads to destination hell. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. Jesus says it's a false prophecy. Watch out for them because they're leading you down the wide road through the wide gate that leads to. Destruction. Destination, hell. So, Acts, when the writers are talking about the first sermons given in Acts, they talk about Jesus. And they just make it so clear, so clear, that there is salvation in no one else except Christ. God has given no other name under heaven by which a person may be saved. No other name. I don't care if they're from the Far East or the Middle East or America or South America or Central America. I don't care what century they came from or how old their religion is or anything about that. There is no other way for destination heaven except through Jesus Christ. All others are on the wide road and the false religions that God talks about. Only those notice No other name under heaven by which a person may be saved. Well, they're so sincere. I I believe that. I don't question their sincerity one bit. I also don't question one bit that millions of people have been duped by false prophets and by false teachers. And they sincerely believe that to be the truth. But they are sincerely wrong. And they've chosen the wrong destination. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus talks about sincerity. Not everyone who says to me, what? Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Only those who do what my Father in heaven wants will enter. I- I've been to uh, communities that are gated in this Somerville area. Some of your guards are very lenient. You drive up, they wave you through. Some man, you have to have an ID, social security number, passport. You know, they're calling you to make sure I get in, right? But you kind of figure out which of the gated communities where the guard really means business, right? I think most of us think that God's the lenient guard at the gate. Ah, Come on in. Yeah, come on on in. You're good. Come on. You're sincere. Come on. in. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, just because you know my name doesn't mean you're getting in. See it? Who gets in? Those who do. Those who obey. Those who do what my Father in heaven, see, what my Father in heaven wants will enter. You don't get to change the rule book. You don't get to change the Bible. You may not like what the Bible says, and you may think, oh man, that just sounds so intolerant. Okay, you're here, what, 70, 80 years and you're gone. Word of God's going to be here forever. So you just need to change your attitude because you're wrong. If you don't like what the word of God says, change your mind about what the word of God says. Because that's the standard. And that's what we need to do. So the standard is not being good enough or being happy or sincerity, no it's truth. Doing what the father wants. So I want you to think about your destination. What is your destination? What is it? You have an opportunity today. Don't miss it. God gives you many opportunities. Don't use them up. Choose the right destination. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, take inventory. Look at yourself. Test to see if you're living in the faith. What's your destination? Think about it. You say, well, I, I want to be on that narrow road through the narrow gate. I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do? Well, back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the very first sermon after Christ's ascension to the multitudes, they asked the very same thing. What what do I need to do? How do I experience this true life? How how do I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? How do I know when I examine my life that I'm living the way the Father wants me to live? And Peter says, look, you must turn away from your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then your sins will be what? Forgiven. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul later on will say that the gift of the Holy Spirit is just a down payment to let you know that you're on your road to destination heaven. It's what you do. It's what they did back then. It's what you do today. It's what you do today. So think about your destination. Let's stand together. Let's all stand as we close out. As we start this new week together... I would like to thank for you to think about your destination. And I want to encourage you to think about and examine your life and where you are. And don't leave here thinking, well, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Make the right decision. Make the right decision. Based upon Matthew 7:24, I offer this prayer to you. Lord, as we listen to your words this week, let us put them into practice. May we be wise builders wise builders that build upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us the grace, the forgiveness, the love, and the opportunity to do this. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to be baptized, place membership, like for Larry, one of our elders, to pray with you, make your way to this front bench as we sing this next song.